Hi, I'm Nikki Schrerer, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. This is episode 574 for the 10th of November 2021. John Hollenbeck is a drummer and percussionist possessed of a playful versatility and a virtuosic musical wit. Whether charting new territory with his long-standing Claudia Quintet or bringing to life popular songs for the Frankfurt Radio Big Band, he is forever seeking to surprise himself and his audiences. I caught up with John to discuss both his most recent Grammy Award-nominated recording with the Frankfurt Radio Big Band and guests Theo Blackman, Kate McGarry and Gary Versace, and his new Claudia Quintet album Evidence-Based, which came out in September 2021 and features the work of American poet Eileen Miles. Here is my conversation with John. Heart, dark weight, down love, black canvas, revolve within, you understand. Fragile earthware, cracks in the temperature, keep it cool to give, you understand. Keep it cool to give, you understand. Slow heart, dark weight, down love, black canvas revolving you understand fragile earthware cracks in the temperature keep it cool to give you Hi, welcome back to the Jazz Session. Thank you very much. It's been 11 years since you were on the show and you've been prolific as always. And I'm gonna give you a run by because I find that a lot of guests who return to the Jazz Session after a decade plus have not really paused to take stock. And so it's a lovely opportunity to force that on you and to watch <laughs> your reaction. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do some listing and you've released four Claudia Quintet albums, an album with Orchestra Nationale de Jazz, a large ensemble record for New Amsterdam Records, and three albums, a trilogy, with the Frankfurt Radio Big Band with guests Gary Versace and vocalists Theo Blackman and Kate McGarry. And that's not including music that you have written for other people to record and albums that you've appeared on as a sideman and drummer. And there's been a move, which I'll ask you about as well. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um, yeah. Um, at some point, I thought that 
I should be doing at least one record a year. <clears throat> so that's not quite, I didn't quite meet that. But um, I was trying to gauge, I was like, is he impressed by this? Or is he disappointed by himself? <laughs> yeah, a little disappointed. A little disappointed. Oh my well, God. You know, what, 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 I, uh, what I think of are, are the, you know, the albums that I wanted to make that I didn't yet, haven't yet. But there's still time. I suppose that's the outlook of somebody who is firing on all cylinders as a creative person and as a musician. I, I guess that is where one's kind of eyesight goes is, well, that's all great, but I'm not resting on laurels because there's this and there's this. So you, you see the... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once you put a record out, it's kind of like even other people say, well, that was nice. When's the next record coming out? Like, it could be the day after. Yeah. And they're already... You know, and my mother will be like asking, you know, when's your next record coming out? Like, oh, geez. Okay. So I I think I put the most pressure on myself. But, you know, when someone asks me, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, right. Okay. I got to get going on that. Well, I hope you make your mother listen. Well, make your mother. I hope you suggest that your mother listen to this because then maybe she will take stock as well and say, actually, you know, John, I'm not going to ask you that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> You've been, been plenty prolific. But today uh, we could focus on everything that has come out between your 2010 interview with Jason and this this interview but i think we're we're going to focus on two albums the two latest ones and one is the third of the trilogy that i spoke about and the other is your newest album which is out september 3rd 2021 with the claudia quintet which is called evidence-based which is awesome and fascinating and so we're gonna get to that for folks who don't know we're gonna go to the trilogy albums can you tell us how the Albums. So it's songs I like a lot, songs we like a lot, and the last one was songs you like a lot, which came out in 2013, 2015, and 2020, respectively. How did those come about? And for folks who don't know, I'm sure they'd love to know how the repertoire was chosen because it's vast. The track list runs the gamut, right? From Imogen Heap to Phil Collins to the Beach Boys. I, you know, I can't remember exactly how, how it started. I think it was more just, you know, wanting to do a project with, with, with Kate. Um, and, and then, cause I had, I'd been playing with Theo and, and Gary, uh, but I'd never, uh, the only thing I did with Kate was, um, uh, we were in Fred Hirsch's, uh, Leaves of Grass. That's, that's where I, more I met her. And... I had done maybe a little work with the Frankfurt Radio Big Band, but I wanted to do a, something else, a project. I don't think I had ever led a project of my own with them. And so, yeah, I think it was just a proposal for like, let's do something with Kate. And then, oh, of course, it would be great if we could add Theo and, and Gary on that. And then when we started talking about repertoire, I'm not even sure if I came up with it in the beginning. Uh, because I remember there was a title which was something about modern pop songs or something like that. But once I started thinking about it, I did end up coming up with this idea of, you know, songs that I like a lot, which a lot of them were songs that I didn't even maybe knew that I liked or even knew that I knew from from my childhood. Um, and then... Um, so we did that record, and, and that was pretty successful. And at some point during that record, 
you know, we st- again, like I was just saying, people start saying, well, what about the next record? So uh, we started thinking about, well, yeah, this was fun. We should do it again. And, you know, I thought, well, this one was songs I like a lot. Maybe in the next one, I should let Kate and Theo and the band, um, you know, give me some, some possibilities of uh, pieces to arrange. So that's where, where that one came up. And, um, and then, you know, so I didn't necessarily like some of that music or, or know it. Uh, and what, so during that process, I realized that I didn't need to, which was a a revelation for me. I didn't, don't really need to, you know, like, or love a piece to be able to, um, successfully arrange it. I could, I could let that liking uh or not liking just set it aside and it's just um you know material which really is not good or bad it's just it just is what it is it's it's stuff so you you know a certain way you can you can't really label it um so uh then for the third one i realized well uh what would be neat is to have like anyone uh to to suggest some titles so we put a um, something on Facebook, and I mean a few people went crazy. A few people did like fifty of their own, I think. But but um, but uh, we gathered together. Uh, maybe I, I think it was between a hundred and two hundred um, pieces, and then did a vote. And the vote uh, once we did the vote, we came down to twenty, and then at that point I said. Well, so as a composer arranger, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I need to, I don't have to like the, the music, but if I was going to sing this music, uh, I might need to like it. It would be much harder to sell it if I really didn't like it. So I thought it'd be, it'd be important to have Theo and Kate, um, I give them the list of 20 and just see what they say. And, and they were very definitive and very, like, there were some, some songs they were like, absolutely not, um, and so, so then I went with their, uh, from the 20, I went with their list and I think it was down, I think I had it down to about 12 and I just went for those 12. I didn't, didn't get all of them. Some of them just didn't make it for some reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had a really good time getting to know some music I didn't know at all and, um, and, and arranging it and trying to make each piece different it must have been a very valuable tool coming to the realization that you didn't have to like something in order to arrange it because that must be very liberating for future arranging work for which you're commissioned sure yeah yeah um it was it was a it was not coming into the project that's not what i thought i definitely songs i like a lot so that i mean i liked those songs and i thought that okay I, I kind of need to like the music if I'm going to spend this much time with it and arrange it you know I can't, I'm going to hear this song over and over again and it's going to be in my head it's going to be an earworm so it you know better be something that that I uh, like at least when I start um, but to know by the end that yeah it's just it's just material and I can arrange it um i can i can find something in every piece that that's the that's the catalyst that i can then go with that and make that um 
the uh, kind of the core of the arrangement. That's a precious outlook to develop, which I'm sure will be so useful going forward. And did you know going into it that the project would span nearly 10 years? I mean, obviously, that also paired with the fact that the writing was for big band, which is a much bigger undertaking than, say, when you are writing and arranging to a degree for your quintet or for other projects where the framework is just going to be smaller in terms of volume of notated music. So did you know it was going to be over 10 years? And if you did, was that intimidating, given the scale of the work needed? Uh, No, I mean, in the beginning was just a project. And then, you know, I don't think the producer um olaf would would uh, have just said yeah let's do three of them you know for right away first we saw uh, oh you know these are nice people to work with this is you know this is w- working well and um so let's do another one and then after we did the second one then you know it was like oh well, the, it, it would make sense somehow it makes sense to do three of these i don't know it it, it would work it works with the obviously the titles um you know, I, once we had that trilogy, um, I actually told the the designers, Carlson Wilker, and they they made the covers for for all three of them, like uh, when they made the first one. And I, that was a little intimidating because I was like, dude, you guys made the covers already? Like, I don't have any idea what this is going to be or when it's going to be. Um, so that was interesting, you know, that they kind of realized, oh, it's a series, so we're just going to do this right now. And um, so that that was the only thing that was kind of done ahead of time. And there was no time span. Um, you know, when you just told me when the records were, uh, when they came out, that I don't, I don't even, I, I didn't even remember that. Um, so there was no, you know, grand scheme. It just started as a project and then let's do another one. And then, okay, let's, let's make it a trilogy, which didn't you know, become an idea until we had done um, two of them. Did your approach to arranging the music for these albums change from the first, certainly, to the second and third, given that you then knew better the Frankfurt Big Band? Did you find that you were writing for the players specifically? Sure, sure. I mean, even in the first one, uh, I have a couple uh, friends who were in uh, Bob Brookmeyer's band with me who were in that band. So I had uh, a couple of people that I could ask, you know, candid questions about the players, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, who likes to do this, who doesn't like to do that. Um, and in each, in each record, there was also some kind of a last minute um, sub. So even though you have this, you know, great plan, uh, there's always some, you know, improvising that you have to do with that. Um, but yeah, knowing the band definitely helped, uh, along the way. Um, and, you know, um, well, it gets, I mean, I would say it gets a little harder You the first record and it's like, great, as long as each piece is kind of different. But then when you do the second record, you've already done like a bunch. So now to try to find like, you know, something that you haven't done before, uh, with, with a not you know with somewhat similar type uh material or or genre um you know that was a a bit tough by the by the time we get to the third one um you know i that's kind of maybe why um 
in the third one, I did some things I've never done before, you know? So like when the, the, the Brian Wilson song, I arranged the words, like literally rearranged the lyrics, which is something I never even don't, would never think of doing, but that was actually how I was able to conceive the, the, uh, arrangement, which in some ways was maybe the, uh, hardest piece to arrange, um, because, well, one, that was number one, uh, that was voted number one. So the most people wanted that one on the record. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, huge hit. So, you know, there's maybe a little bit more pressure on, on a piece like that. Um, and so, uh, rearranging the words really helped me kind of find, uh, a new way into that piece. I am a, I am a, I am a, I may not, not always, I may not always love, I may not always love you, may always love you, may always love you, all may love, I may not always love, may I may not always love you, but I may not always love you, but I may not always love you, but as I may not always love you, as there I may not always love you, as you, I may not always love, but long as there are stars, I may not always love, but long there are stars, but I may not always love, as there are stars, but I may not always love you, as there are stars above not, but I love you, but long as are stars above you, but long as there are stars above you, as there are stars above you, 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 you ne never need you, you never need to, you never need to doubt, you never need to doubt it, you never need to doubt it, you never need to doubt it, you're so sure about it, you're so sure about it. You're so sure about it.
We mentioned Theo Blackman earlier and Kate McGarry's also a guest on this album. Theo's a frequent musical teammate of yours. You've also worked with Kurt Elling, he's guested with Claudia Quintet. Uh, you wrote an album of music, arranged music for the Brussels Vocal Project, more vocalists. You use poetry consistently as a thread throughout your work and in this upcoming album, which we'll speak about as well. And as you said, you're acutely aware of the lyrics of the song. You don't kind of just, you know, bash into it and it doesn't really matter. It matters hugely to you. You love the spoken and the sung word. Uh, so can you talk about your inclusion, I guess, of vocalists generally, or certainly how it is for you working with Theo and Kate, who are two fantastic musicians with their own personalities and obviously their own opinions. And uh, yeah, the, and your love for, I guess, the voice as an instrument. Yeah, I think a lot of that does come from Theo. He's, you know, one of the in in the in the group of musicians who I met uh, early on when I moved to New York. Um, he was the person who introduced me to Meredith Monk, and and helped me become part of her ensemble. Which that has been a big influence on how I think of um, vocal music or you know, definitely widened my view of what vocal music could be. Um, and uh, Theo, um, we started out just playing free, improvising free. That's what we did for, for a long time. That was that was the only thing we did. Long, then along the way, I've, I've done projects for his band. Um, he's done different projects for my bands. Um, and when I... My, my relationship to big band music is, I would say, complex. Um, and often I have, I've had the feeling of, like, I don't really want to do this unless Theo is there. Um, Theo kind of helps me make it into something else that's not, in quotes, big band music. Just his presence there and knowing what he can do, which is pretty much everything. Um, he can sing beautiful uh, piece with lyrics. He can sing very complex music. He can improvise freely. He can use electronics. So um, when I, even when I would bring my music to a big band, um, another big band, that's very difficult sometimes because, you know, you're trying to get them into the aesthetic of the music in basically, you know, a couple rehearsals. And I, I could do it a little bit on the drums, but it's much better when Theo's there and everyone can kind of be like, oh, oh, we can do, we can do that? Oh, oh, I see. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's, it's this. It's not like, you know, it's, it's a wide range of what, what, what we can do. Um, and also just to see someone who can, um, for instance, freely improvise, but then also play a very uh, complex, notated piece of music, you know, that, uh, you know, shows uh, right away, like, oh, okay, we have to be able to do this and this, you know. So, um, yeah, I can't uh, say enough about Theo and, 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 and uh, what I've learned from, from playing with him. We, we, we learned a lot from, from improvising together um, and talked a lot about it. So, a lot of my aesthetics and improv come from from that, 
And like like Meredith also talks about, you know, the drum and the voice being the first instruments. So there there's something really interesting about that and the connection. Um, so I, you know, I think I try to keep those things in mind because in some ways uh, vocal music and the voice has been kind of put into a, another place um, for most people. Um, I totally forgot the question. <laughs> no, no, that sheds a light. I mean, it is. It's your relationship with Theo, which probably changes the way and that you receive other vocalists and the patience yeah. and the kind of open-mindedness you have to when someone says, I'm a singer, you don't think, well, I guess we'll give you a standard with lyrics and you can count the band in. Right. With you, right, is so right, much more dynamic, right. which, of course, stems a lot. I mean, it, it ties into Meredith's work, so it makes perfect sense yeah yeah i mean uh you know i'm i'm uh when i'm in a educational environment that's when i i, I realize maybe more so the difficulty that vocalists have because the um, most of the world is is saying like you can just be a vocalist there's nothing wrong with that you just sing the song and then you're good and then, but then a lot of times when you go into a music school, they're like, no, 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 you have to be able to do everything that instrumentalists can do, which is a lot. And then also you have to still do the vocal, you know, be a, a vocalist. Um, so, you know, uh, working with Theo, I didn't appreciate that uh, as much as I do after being in, in a school environment and seeing how... Um, you know, your, your average um, vocalist, the types of music that they hear and, and play before they would come to a school is, is, is a pretty narrow range, you know. Um, very few, unfortunately, very few um, vocalists are coming into a music school having heard Meredith Monk or Theo Blackman, for instance, you know. Um, so, of course, it's one of my jobs is to make sure that by the time they leave, <laughs> at least they know those names. And, uh, and they at least have the, you know, at least they know that there's a lot of other possibilities out there. They can go in these different routes if they, if they want to. There is more than what it, uh, what it looks like um, on, the, on the surface. Yeah. Well, and I think that people like you and Maria Schneider, and I know that Miho Azama has also written for voice before, as big band arrangers and or large ensemble, I should say, um, arrangers and leaders, you're certainly doing good, important work in helping other people, whether it's other musicians and other band leaders or other arrangers and composers, to kind of broaden their idea of what a vocalist can do and be and how it can add texturally color wise um to an arrangement so you lead by example and i think i th yeah in some ways i think you know like i know that i guess sometimes maria schneider would travel with a, a rhythm section if she wasn't playing with her own you know new york based band and i often think well, Theo, for you, as you said, you know, and Meredith's saying you're, it's like you're the two pieces of the bread and then the rest of the ensemble is the filling. So as long as you have those bookmarks, everyone else will kind of be like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is unusual and very special. Um, 
Yeah, and that longevity of your relationship, which span which spans so much of your discography, is it's very rare. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is, and it's it's a it's a blessing. Yeah, it's it's and it's fantastic. It's lovely to hear it, and I love the inclusion of Kate, of course, because I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, when I first heard Kate, I mean, she can she she can just make me cry like very easily, like, and that doesn't happen that much when I'm just listening to you know someone sing a song. Um, yeah, there's so so she's so deep, um, and so soulful. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's been just a joy to hear her, you know, sing some of this music that I, that I arranged. Yeah. Well, I will also say she gave an interview fairly recently with, um, Steve Davidson on the Playful Musician, and she spoke about the process of learning music. I don't know if you heard it for the first recording that she did. Uh And it was fascinating to hear her talk about it because, I think part of what is so wonderful about Kate and part of what moves listeners and makes them cry, because you're not alone in that, is that she really kind of makes herself appear very vulnerable when she's singing. And as a, res- as a result, the listener feels the sense of emotional connection. And she's very honest when she's talking as well. And she was immensely challenged. I, I could yeah. say this because she said it. Yeah. And even yeah. picking up tips on how she prepared for the first album versus how she went forward with the second. And she said, you know, it wasn't fun for her to sing that music being underprepared, but she didn't kind of know, I think, the degree to which what you'd written would challenge. And the moment she figured out that she actually had to have a really good system in place to get it all under her belt before you recorded, she said it was huge. And it was lovely to hear somebody who is at their point, the point that she's at in her career, talk about another incline and how to Mm -hmm. approach it Mm -hmm. and how she came out of it. Yeah, and I I, I think I can say with Kate that, you know, um, that maybe I didn't know her as well on the first record um and and the second and and didn't really even know that maybe uh until the second record and it it wasn't even until after the second record when i was like okay so and then the third record you know she didn't say that much but she did say something like um you know you you have to get the music to me like way before the recording session so that by the time we get there with the band, like I I've gone through the learning part and I can just sing it. And I mean, along the way, I think we we realized that some of the music was extremely complex. Um, and so uh, for the third record, I think it I think I was the most successful with writing the her her parts for her and and really um you know tailoring it and uh and did even though i did the whole project in a very last minute i did get the music to her ahead of time and uh and and yeah i mean um i'm i i I don't i've never tried to write complex difficult music i always try to write simple and sometimes it's just that's just not how to how I I can't I can't do what I want to do that way. Um, so uh, I 
I'm sometimes I'm unsuccessful in that. And I know I'm unsuccessful. I'm like, okay, I know this is going to be really hard. Bummer. But, um, unfortunately I can't figure out another way around it, but I would say with a third record, I don't know. I just feel a little bit like I learned. That's what I learned maybe so that the third record, I think, although because of COVID, we haven't really performed it, but I, I think it's, um, uh, maybe the well it's a lot easier than the second record but i think it yeah i think there's not too much um complex uh very difficult music where you have to you know obviously uh, theo is a different story and and also theo like you know enjoys a challenge so i i was in the hotel room next to him after i gave him the beach boys thing and that's all i heard like every morning before the rehearsal is him getting that inside trying to internalize it and uh and and by the time you know we we recorded it you know he he was it was it was i would almost say easy for him he was you know he had it it was inside his body can you name just a favorite track off of each album and just tell us why you have a soft spot for it wow that's that's very difficult i mean the the first um in the first record wichita lineman I would say when I say I mean because I don't really have favorites, but I, what I notice sometimes is is like you know a certain piece that the band likes to play and the audience likes to hear. You know sometimes like you play a piece and the band really likes that piece, and the audience might or might not. You know, and sometimes the audience really likes it, and the band's like, eh. but. Um, that one also, that piece, Wichita Lineman by Jimmy Webb is, um, um, well, it's, it's a piece that my dad, I just heard, I just think of my dad and I, and it, and it reminds me of him and, and I know he listened to that record. I don't even know how I know that record or that piece. Um, so when I arranged it, I just arranged it from memory. Uh, I looked up the words, but I, but I didn't listen to the, uh, well, I didn't listen to the Glenn Campbell version, which is kind of the, the, the most popular one. I didn't listen to any versions, but, um, so that was a very interesting, uh, arrangement to make because I didn't, I didn't do it by listening to the original. I did it by using my memory of the, what I remember it sounding like and um yeah so you know i've played that it's a really great piece to play as an encore uh, i've noticed and everyone when you announce it there's always people who will, oh yeah yeah okay i love that piece uh, maria schneider has told me you know she's we're in the jimmy webb fan club like you know she's told she totally love that um i even got an email from pat metheny that i and i wasn't even sure it was really him you know um, uh, because he's a big Jimmy Webb fan, and actually, Wichita Lineman is a very meaningful uh, piece for him. Like, um, so um, maybe two years ago, he got an honorary doctorate here from McGill, and I arranged uh, Wichita Lineman for five guitars for hit to, as a surprise uh, presentation for him. So, so yeah, that piece um, that piece means a lot. Um, I, I do like the be I do like the um 
true colors because it's one of those in the in the realm of where if you don't announce the piece or even if you do announce the piece and people don't rec like you know know the song true colors like they're like listening to it and they're like this is okay but i'm not sure i don't guess i don't know this song and then at some point you know it starts clicking in um but maybe not until that whole first part is is because the first part it's just the melody um but really really slow like a chant and um so yeah i i, I really I, I like the way that came out I, i'm 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 very happy with how it you know it uh and it has like these little um pointillistic little piano um drum things underneath it so um that's a favorite part i can say um but yeah i don't know about a fa i don't know if i have a favorite overall piece i mean i love to hear kate on close to you and and the carpenters was a a uh, big one for me when I was younger. I, I was really in the Carpenters and Karen Carpenter, especially. Um, so maybe those two, if I can pick two from that one. The last one, um, yeah, they're re really. Um, it's maybe it's because it's so close. It's even harder to pick one because I think you know down to the river means a lot to Kate, and I knew that, and I and I really wanted to do something, you know, that was um, really you know, uh, meaningful to the piece, but kind of giving it a little different take on it. Um, blue was, you know, very difficult to do in a way because Joni is just so, you know, it's a, it was a bit intimidating. But, uh, but you know, having Theo sing it, I think, and, you know, we, we did that a few times with, uh, also with Don't Give Up, switching the uh, the gender, that helps a little and, and and like kate singing fire and rain you know the that that kind of just that switch in in a way helps me get to a different place um but yeah fire and rain that's another one kind of from my childhood that uh you know i didn't pick these songs but i happen to know that one and 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 really love that one and i would say that you know i i tried to with blue and with fire and rain, I, I I think I especially tried to not do that much. See how little I could do, but still do something, you know. Um, and blue is really just the Joni's piano part, like orchestrated, and then there's like a an improv section in the beginning. But otherwise, it's I really feel like I didn't do that much. Um, and also with fire and rain, it's just a few little tweaks with the with the harmony. Uh, I think I made it kind of go a little more major in the chorus, um, but I, I tried to just kind of set it up um, in a uh, like you know as, as the intro kind of set it up and emotionally, um, and then um, pure imagination, you know, for Gary and 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 Theo, like yeah, so. I can't pick a I can't pick a favorite on that one, but uh, I, I'm I'm I like a lot of them. Kindness was a is an original, but I just love that poem so much that I wanted to share that poem. Naomi Shihab Nye, I heard her um, do that poem on a um, show called uh, On Being, and um, just was like so blown away that I just had to make an arrangement and I had to put it 
on a record that it should not have been on <laughs> because I wasn't supposed to pick any of the songs and they were supposed to be arrangements. So I broke the rules there. Down south will never stand the strain And I need you more than want you And I want you for all time And the Wichita line Is still on the note about how you can support the jazz session if you so wish. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generosity of listeners who enjoy these interviews so much that they decide to become members over at the jazz sessions Patreon page. There are two tiers of membership, $5 and $10 a month. For $5 a month, you'll receive these weekly episodes a day early, and you'll also get a weekly track of the week, a mini episode where jazz artists offer up a track of their latest album, they tell you about it, and then you hear the song in its entirety. For $10 a month, you'll receive these perks and also a monthly bonus episode that you will receive a month before the general public receive it. It's called The Insider. It's a spin-off interview series that I created, and it sees me interview jazz industry experts, managers, journalists, broadcasters, publicists about the work they do with jazz musicians. You'll also hear music from those jazz musicians throughout the interview. So head to thejazzsession.com slash join to get information about how you can become a Patreon member today. Now, back to my conversation with John. I often think of you and your frequent collaborator, Theo Blackman, as kind of masters of albums with concept. And I often wish that the idea of recording with a very strong concept in mind was something that was impressed upon younger musicians because I think very often you get these albums that are nice but they they don't have that thread running throughout them regardless of whether it's a narrative or a theme or or an instrumentation 
Is this something that you're aware of? Because it seems to have served you very well. I don't think I'm really aware of it, but I but I do enjoy uh, doing that for the reasons that you mentioned. There's this kind of extra um, outside of the music. There's there's a there's another reason for this this thing to to be there, and and you're trying to convey something. Could be aspirational or or um, something that you just want to share. Um, something I would say most of the time, although you might not get that as the listener, I would say most of the time it's something that I'm discovering. So I'm 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 really into this. And I'm going to totally get into it. And then I'm going to create something and share it with others because I want others to uh, get into this too, you know. So the, you know, the, the, the work of Kenneth Patchen, you know, um, that was brought to me. I didn't know. I, I don't think I had ever heard of Kenneth Patchen. And then, you know, so what you're kind of listening to is, is my, you know, growth from not knowing who Kenneth Patchen is to, you know, really by the end of the project, I have a pretty good idea and love for his work and want to share that. And also kind of want to, of course, then, you know, bring a new, um, a new way to, to look at it. Yeah, I love that. Well, I mean, on that note... The album that is coming out on the 3rd of September, 2021, it's the newest of the new, which is mm-hmm. your album with the Claudia Quintet. It also features the, the poet, amazing poet, Eileen Miles, um, whose work I did not know of until listening to your album. So that was a joy for me to delve oh, into. There you yep, go. There you go. Yeah. And this album, I loved, I was very uh, tickled reading the press release that you sent me because I think in terms of the, whether you want to call it the concept or the reason for its being or the story behind it is wonderful. So can you tell folks about it? And the album I should mention is called Evidence Based. Yes. Um, I think it starts in 2017. I'm, I was kind of... I might be wrong with that date, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure 2017. Um, there was one week, there was in the news uh, circle, there was a big, big stories that the, uh, the CDC um, had, uh, well, you know, came out different ways, but, but basically to, to get money, and so to, to make uh, budget proposals, the there was recommendations to leave out certain words or you know if you could substitute other words for certain words that that would probably help you get money from from you know certain politicians so words like transgender and uh vulnerable and fetus and evidence-based and science-based um were some of the words that were people were told you know if you can kind of not use them they're 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 basically kind of trigger words for for certain um you know politicians and um you know that really hit me and i started thinking about something right right then um 
but what was it what was a bit deflating i would say at that time was that that story went away that was a week it went away it completely went away there's if you google it there's like one week of stories and then it's gone it's completely gone and i think um now you can see that that was kind of foreshadowing of that kind of the increasing politicization bringing politics into a organization like the cdc which is just there to make people safe, keep them safe and healthy. Um, you know, I'm sure it's obviously it didn't start then, but you can see how it increased and it actually affected. Um, I mean, I would say it, it affected lives late, you know, in 2019 and 2020. So, yeah, during during the um the lockdown kind of uh well in periods when i the band couldn't you know we haven't been together um i decided to uh try it was really just try um to record remotely and um you know i had i had already asked i had asked eileen uh when i was already thinking about doing this for a specific concert in new york and then the producers of the concert they said no mostly they the poetry and jazz just uh, they didn't, they were it wasn't they weren't excited about that they wanted to just keep the music so um i had asked eileen but but you know nothing came of it uh and then when so i so i had but i already kind of written most of the music we even played some of it a little bit live um so here it was. It was sitting there. It's all. It's already kind of. Um, so I just decided let's just try to record it, and then um, once I had it, you know, I, I wanted to wait until I knew if it would work, uh, and then once I heard that it was working, then I uh, I got in touch with Eileen again and said, remember this um, when I had asked you like you know a couple of years ago. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I sent Eileen the music, the recording and the words, which were the, are now the titles of the pieces. And, um, and then, you know, just let Eileen do what they do. And then a little while later, I got back these, these incredible little, Eileen doesn't like to call them, uh, poems, but at first... They were calling them lines, and now I think uh, um, they're calling them talk. And sometimes there, I had ideas where the poetry would go before the song. There was a, a few uh, piece sometimes where it would go in the middle, um, somewhere, uh, maybe towards the end. I, you know, given Eileen uh, already kind of the possible places and. I believe uh, they just listened to the music and then um, things came out that were related to those words. But in a, in, I'll say this in a good way, what came out was pretty surprising to me. It's not what, what I would have thought would have come out. Um, it's, it's sometimes like a, uh, you know, like a, a very relevant and very now, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, personal take on on uh, the titles. Glad you're here. So glad. We're going ahead. That's the message. So put your cap on. No kidding around. 
So we're expecting good results with 46, 46, 46. We can make this turn. note to everyone who makes this show possible namely the patreon members over at the jazzsession.com and the respect sextet at respectsextet.com for the show's theme music if you want to rate review and subscribe the podcast you can do that at apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can also follow the jazz session online at twitter at jazz sesh and on instagram and facebook at the jazz session there is also a youtube channel to which you can subscribe where you can watch video excerpts of interviews with this season's guests now back to the interview a last question I wanted to ask you, John, you mentioned McGill. You moved to Montreal in 2015 to take up the position of professor in jazz at the Schulich School of Music at McGill University. And earlier this year, you received an award, which was Schulich's 2020 to 2021 Teaching Award in the full-time category, because you're a full-time professor there. And there's a lovely interview with you that was published online, and I'll link to it in the show notes. And it talks to you about what the recognition means to you or meant to you. Um, you are a wonderful writer as well. I'm a big fan of your blog on your oh, website. Thanks. I just wanted to ask you how it's been, being in Montreal, because it's now six odd years, and how has the teaching that you're doing at McGill influenced your composing, your collaborating, your outlook on performing? Um, it's been great being here in Montreal. I really, I really like the city. Um, we came from Berlin and I think it's not, it's, it's got like some similarities to, to Berlin in a way that made it not a, um, a harsh transition. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really loving it here. We're loving it here and, and, and trying to just, you know, more and more, obviously with COVID it's been hard, but to, to just be more uh part of the city but um at this point it's still like you know oh i've never been to this pizza place before okay i have to go there and like you know yesterday I had some incredible ice cream like the never you know it's st i'm still in that like er uh place where i have a lot of favorites uh, that i go to a lot but uh i'm still like finding all the the new the new places and and uh, so um that's great, and 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 McGill also. Um, I'm still finding, I, even though it has been a few years, I felt like actually, you know, uh, something happened around that time when when you know, and and getting that award, 
um, um, yeah, it felt like, you know, uh, I finally figured out some things <laughs> about where, where my place is, how to, how to, how to best, what's, what's the best, uh, thing that I can do here and, and, and how do I do it? And, um, so I, I do feel, you know, it took a while for me to kind of figure out what are, what are the best things that I can do here. Um, and, uh, I mean, teaching in general is just a mirror. So, I mean, you're, you're constantly, um, thinking about, you know, you, you, you spend a lot of time very definitively saying things. And then afterwards, well, I'll speak for myself afterwards. I think, do I really believe that? Is that really true? I'm not even sure if that's true. <laughs> and so then, you know, it's like a constant struggle there with like what, you know, and just, and thinking about, well, what are the things that I can really give that I, you know, because some of these things will change and they could be true today and then not true tomorrow. And, you know, if it involves technology or things like that, it's going to be different in a few days. But, um, there's, you know, it's helped me get down to certain truths. And, um, and, and one of the things that came out in that article was a, from a dream that I had where I had written um, sound and feel on my teaching room door, which is not, it's, it was just a dream. I, have, I should actually do that for real soon. But, um, you know, some things, some, what came out of that was like, you know, th there's certain um, things that are, that are true and universal and uh and those are the things that i try to to really uh get down to you know like so sound that's so important feel uh and and even with composition you know i don't do uh complex advanced things with most students it's really just voice leading and you know uh form and and it's 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 these really basic things. Um, I have a class where we just play quarter notes really slow for the whole semester, and it's wonderful. Um, so it's, I think, you know, that's one thing that teaching kind of helps you kind of get back to, like, what are the really, really important things? Because those are the things I should be talking about in, in teaching. There's a lot of things that are, you know, fun and, and um, you know, kind of like, 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 uh, like candy. Um, but, and so they're fun to eat and, and digest, but they don't have a lot of nutrition and there's not a lot of long-term nutrition there. So I kind of try to think of, you know, what are some things that I can, you know, give the students that it, that's like more long-term, even, even to the point where, you know, I, 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 I often end up saying like, these things you might not understand right now, so just take good notes. It might not be relevant to you, but I have a feeling if it's not in like two years or five years, maybe, or even 10 years <laughs> that you're gonna like, if you remember what we're doing here, it's gonna be important to you. Oh God, I wish someone had said that to me when I was in my undergrad. Cause I, I'm <laughs> constantly astonished by the number of things that sort of click into place. I mean, I'm now like, you know, 10 yeah. plus years out of, out of undergrad, but I wish at the time, instead of me feeling huge anxiety about the fact that 
I kind of understood the concept, but I wasn't using it and applying it. So there was this whole part of the pie that was missing and I would just mm -hmm. feel anxious and I'd look around at my peers and think, they're all nodding. They obviously get this in a much deeper way and they're using it and it makes perfect <laughs> sense as to why and how. And yeah. I just thought, okay, just, you know, don't, don't, don't let anybody know. And then, you know, two, three, as you said, four, five years outside of college, I'd be doing something and I'd be like, oh, that's why a tritone substitution works. Or, you know, oh, that's mm -hmm. why you write it like that because it's easier to see when, you know, um, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, I wish someone yeah. had taken off the pressure at the time so that I could have actually probably received everything just better in a much more sort of con content manner. Yeah. It's very valuable. Yeah, yeah. It, it is difficult, though, because there's a certain um, trait that people at that age have, which is they kind of want it's it's all about the immediate thing. They kind of want it like right now, like. They want to learn about the music that's happening right now, not quite as interested in some of the music that happened in the past, but they really want to know about the stuff right now. And they really want to like, they want the, to, you to give them things that they can use like on the gig tonight. And so it's hard to say, just, okay, slow down a little bit, you know, just, you know, develop some patience and and uh, take good notes in some way and record or take good notes because uh, you know a lot of the a lot of that uh, a lot of things that teachers are saying I know from from my listening back to lessons that I took that um, you know you don't actually remember very much from a lesson you know and, and then like if you, when you listen to it like five years later you're like was I there I don't remember that part at all you know and you know you can, you can drift off for a second or or you just don't retain it, or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not something that you're using. So it kind of tends to go away. And then you listen to it and you're like, wow, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Like what they were talking about is exactly what, you know, I needed. But, you know, five years later. Well, I think that that precious advice is applicable for so much and not just music, which is slow down and take good notes. That's precious parting wisdom mm -hmm. from John. Thank you. And uh, I think that's a perfect, a perfect place to end off on. And uh, for anybody who's looking to study, they should look at McGill so that they can firsthand get to work with you and learn from you, which I think must be such a privilege. So John, thank you so much for coming on the show today and catching up with us. Wow. Yeah, thank you. A whopper of a catch up, 11 years, and <laughs> just now, when's your next album coming out? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got, hold on, I've got your mum on the phone and she has a question for you. <laughs> uh. It's just been a, yeah, it's just a joy, a joy to talk to you. Thank you. You too.
massive thank you to this week's guest, John Hollenbeck. Evidence Based is out now, as is Songs You Like A Lot, and a whole host of other recordings because John is prolific, and you can find those all on his Bandcamp page. As usual, I will make a note of anything we discussed and the tracks played during this conversation in the show notes for today's episode. You can find those under the episode. It's very easy to see them on thejazzsession.com, but I do know that they pop up on all the other podcast platforms. Thanks so much for listening this week, and I'll see you next week for another conversation about jazz here on The Jazz Session. (laughs) 